0: Hello, and welcome to the BBC Fire magazine podcast, or podcast as we thought we might call it. It's your ticket to the countryside whenever you can't get there, and includes delightful encounters with wildlife and rural people, and sometimes we deal with the big issues that affect the countryside we love. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the editor of the magazine and the podcast. In this episode, we actually head far beyond our shores to Cape Town in South Africa, to meet acclaimed author, naturalist, and broadcaster, Tim D. At this time of year, the heart of springtime in Britain, Tim would normally be exploring his beloved oak woods on Exmoor and the astonishing bird life to be found there. But, due to the COVID-19 lockdown, he's having to experience autumn in the Southern Hemisphere instead. So I got in touch with him and asked whether he would relive some of his springtime memories, by reading a rather magical chapter of his new book, Greenery Journeys in Springtime. Listen on for a profoundly beautiful escape.
1: I'm sitting by the back door of my house in the village of Scarborough, which is a suburb of Cape Town. It's a very windy April day with a definite feel of autumn in the air. This is not where I thought I would be today. Mostly, if I can, I like to spend as much as possible of April and May in an oak wood in West Somerset. This wood, I claim, is part of a chapter in my book, Greenery, and I'm going to try to read some of that to you now. Every spring, for 40 years and more, the oak woods at Horner on the north slope of Exmoor and West Somerset have been a place I've needed to be in. Much of what I think of as the best of spring can be found there, Redstarts, pied flycatchers and wood warblers arrive from Africa in April to breed in these woods. After 3 or 4 months they return to winter south of the Sahara. Those that survive will then fly north for the next spring. My need to see these birds in the oak trees at Horner has grown as I've got older. There is no resetting of the clock for any of us. No go-backs are possible or restarts permitted. We're all older every spring. I am greyer, deafer, slower, more generally autumnal, but to witness the work of time through the oaks and the red starts at Horner allows me to feel the quickening of the world, and its coming to life year after year. In seeing the migrants begin again in that place, and their repeat performances over many years, I find myself feeling, even for a passing moment, beneath a singing bird and a green tree, that I too might be commonly sourced, or made at the same time, from the same matter. If that is the case i am then within touching distance as it were of life that unlike mine might never stop this is a fantastic thought of course but this i think is what the spring does so might we put our ends behind us rather than ahead so might those clocks and restarts be oaks and red starts the rills that become streams that become rivers that our Horner and East Waters have cut deep, muttering valleys, away from the heath of Exmoor, down towards the Bristol Channel. The moorland heather and grasses on the tops are rarely other than rusty or dun, but in places water has softened the shrug of the hill, with greening veins and weedy deltas that seep and run. When all round seems dead, these creases in the earth shine with a soldered silvery dazzle. Spring begins in such places, these springs and it flows with the water. The two streams rise on the open moor, but soon, falling from the hills, their narrow rocky beds are canopied with trees, mostly oaks. The trees rise up the steep sides of the valleys. On the flanks of the moor, the woods climb to a tree line and stop below Dunkery Beacon. Lower down, towards the edge of the uplands, the woods climb right over the tops of the valleys and cape the hills between. Green comes out of the brown and gray. Almost as long as I've been walking the springtime woods at Horner, I've been reading Coleridge. Several of his best poems and what Richard Holmes calls the glistening chaos of his notebooks make very good company there. They might be read as uniquely imaginative guidebooks to the place and its meanings. Much of Coleridge's greatest poetry was made out of the West Country. It got deeply into him and into his writing. He grew or greenhoused his Kubla Khan in a wooded coom just five kilometres west of Horner. He knew the trees hereabouts. A map from his time marks them growing along the same rivers as they do today. In his introduction to the fragment, he tells us that the poem occurred or appeared to him in the summer of 1797 in a trance or dream when he was sickly in a lonely farmhouse between Porlock and Linton. Among the postcards the poem sends of romantic chasms and caverns measureless, Coleridge submits descriptions of more familiar, even local places. A green hill... And a river meandering with a mazy motion. He also coined the word greenery. Its first recorded use in the Oxford English Dictionary is in the poem. The word comes at a point where the poem wants to rhyme tree with green. It is also required to open out, as its blurry and reverberating last syllable does, and to activate, to action green, and multiply, to grow and to leaf. In his Biographia Literaria, Coleridge wrote of language's capacity to animate. He knew words to be no passive tools, but organised instruments, reacting on the power which inspirits them. Greenery is one such word, a minting. As verdancy roots with virility, so greenery grows with energy. It does this both suggestively and literally. An anagram of it gives us re-energy. 19th of April. In the spring the leaves come at Horner when they will. Leaf out some years can be weeks later than others. Never have I known the wood to be in the same state on the same day from one year to the next. The greenery in April is slight and tender at first, often trembling. It takes some weeks for an oak to look more green than grey, more leaf than wood, more alive often than dead. But it has happened every year I've walked under the trees, and as the new leaf growth spreads and meshes into a green commonwealth, curtailing the sunlight reaching the woodland floor, so caves open of an almost tangibly gaseous light. As though the chlorophyll of the fresh leaves had sponged at the air, the understory simmers and flares for a month or so. An arcade of green rooms is there, an Arcadia. This is the woods' most buzzing time. My walk... The same walk through Horner Woods that I have taken for 40 springs begins at Webber's Post. I start on the moor's edge, in open country, up above the trees, and walk downhill. If, on a first visit, I hear a redstart singing before the wood has closed around the unfenced road, the year can be made fully whole and wholly good in minutes. Redstarts arrive in the Horner Woods in the first two weeks of April. Males, like many migrants, commonly make landfall a little ahead of females. Singing often at the tops of trees, they delineate their territory and describe their desires. Some will know the woods from previous years, and once again have sought out or have been caught by the place they want to be detained in. They will have sung there before, perhaps from the same perches, and to defend the same territory. Some territories will be vacant because last year's singers are dead. Other singers this year will have hatched nine months before from an egg and have been reared in a hole in a tree in these woods. They will never have previously opened their beaks to sing until something in the sunlight meets something in their bodies and their life and time condenses into short sprightly rounds of three or four second long tunes from webber's post i walked further into the shelter of the trees it got warmer the oaks around me were still mostly bare or hung with catkins like new lamb's tails tasseled and limp wan and yellowish and smothered with dusty pollen on the naked fingers of the crown of one oak, grey mostly, with tattered mittens of hoary lichen and just a few shakes of new greenery, there was a male redstart. My first on its home ground this year. I heard it before I saw it, and listened to it for ten minutes before I tried to find it. Its little singing answered so much. I let my head fill with its song, a tune I hadn't heard for ten months. Eight phrases, one minute, six the next six the next, then five, and then eight, and so on. The music was slight, but it felt alive, and it glistened in the air. I listened, and then sang it back sotto voce to the singer, trying to describe it to myself. It is refreshing, a watery rinsing, or the first glance of sunshine after rain. It sounds coy, like an apology, or like the warm-up to a bigger number that never comes. Today I heard the simplicity or modesty of the musical line at its chaffinch-like approach and retreat. Plain song, I said out loud to the trees. 26th of April. Horner, a gift of a day. So much this morning has come from Africa to these woods. How extraordinary it seems to put this springtime ordinariness like that. 15 willow warblers three chifchefs, three blackcaps a garden warbler 10 redstarts 13 pied flycatchers one wood warbler five cuckoos a tree pipit several swallows and house martins overhead and a singing whitethroat in a hedge on the road out not one of them was here one month ago most of them then were still south of the sahara one male redstart was singing on the crown of an oak through my binoculars i could see the bird's warm breath its african insides and I watched little puffs of cloud leave its open beak and disappear into the cool morning air. As it sang, the flickering fire of its plumage radiated heat, brick tile and burnt sienna on its breast, wood ash and soot around its head, flannel grey on its back, a lit lamp bright at its forehead, and as ever the stoking of its tail, fanning all. I leaned, as always, towards it. Twenty paces on, another male redstart arrived in the lower branches of a tall oak as I was watching a male pied fly catcher in the same tree. The birds passed one another, and as they did I heard from higher up in the crown a male wood warbler, giving one round of its silvery, tremulous song. My three in one tree. The same day in one coomb at Horner there were six willow warblers singing at once. I sprawled on a sofa of dead bracken to listen. Although each male sang a song nearly identical to its rivals, the effect was not a cacophonous logjam. When crunching their numbers, my wife Claire and her scientist colleagues call meaningless data noise. It's a kind of backwash to truth, a tonally generic sea out of which floats meaning, but which is itself distracting to that meaning. The warbler's singing said to me that if we knew how to listen adequately, there would be no such thing as this noise. As they moved through the oaks and birches, the birds' songs came and went, drawing and redrawing their spaces across the green lyre of the wood. I couldn't see any of them, but could feel their movements by listening. Although it was a rivalrous squabble, singing as a means of fighting without bloodshed, the riot of competing song didn't sound like that. No sound, Coleridge said, is dissonant that tells of life. Neither was it meaningless in its accumulation. They all had the same news, and they sang it in the same way. It was polyphony, but each bird sang out of itself, from its own centre. Each sounded a beginning, as if the song had started, with its singer alone. Further along the path, at the top end of the wood adjoining the moor, I had a ten-minute view of a male pied flycatcher. I sat with it in its place. In that time it gave just one round of song. It moved beneath an oak, hopping from dead branches on the ground to the trunk of the tree, with its wings slightly lowered below its body. The white spot in its forehead shone bright. For a minute it perched quiet and still. Then it flew to a hole in the oak where a branch had snapped away. It was pointing it out. A female appeared in the little clearing and hopped from branch to branch nearer the male. The male must have seen her, or known she was watching him, long before me. He flew closer to the hole and then to the female. She flew away. 29th of April. Back to Horner. Cold, with birds shivering this morning, with the chill, not with lust. The pied flycatchers were quiet and slow in the trees, their faces like ponies, dark eyes and a white blaze in their black brows. I watched marsh tits taking green caterpillars from oak leaves for food for their young. I heard ten red 30th of April. Horner again until ten in a sparkling morning. I counted six wood warblers, each a glass of lime cordial. Simply beautiful, beautifully simple. There were married redstarts: she into a hole on the end of a snapped-off oak branch, he following with a grub in his beak. Two of the ten pied flycatchers were fighting males, dirtying their dinner suits in wet leaf mould at the side of the road. I also saw four tree parachuting into the gorse at the wood edge, and two marsh tits nearby. These last, and possibly several of the others, I surely saw yesterday as well. To see the same individuals over and again through a season, all of them in their places, occupied, this idea grew in my mind. The name of the path I take is Boy's Path. A sign has appeared. 2nd of May, Horner. A fine rain was being blown sideways on a west southwest wind. The wood carded cloud until it festooned the treetops. The oaks bowed their heads as if cowed by the weather. For an hour I felt like a sorry moth. The wet air of the cloud forest clogged my hair and misted my lenses. A male pied flycatcher knocked raindrops from its songpost twig. The water fell like tin tears along the twiggy stave. But even in the rain, on the great hillside lawn of tall oaks, there were paired redstarts and paired pied flycatchers and a singing wood warbler. All their sounds seemed softened, aptly so, in the submarine rainlight. Every bird I watched shook their feathers and shivered off a jewelled caddis sheath of themselves. A pair of pied flycatchers chased a female redstart. She chased them back. They were quiet, but their dancing movements lent a music of colour and contrast, so that as they flew the wood lit up and sparkled with the rain they'd interrupted, as if the water, falling around them, was being worked in a woodland forge. Spangle, I wrote in my book, and watched the word slide from my page. 22nd of May bumblebees in the bilberries in the wood, otherwise the oaken hillside had a deep forest quiet. There was a further silence too, that of the sitting birds, the purposeful silence of incubation, the egging on. I sat to watch without seeing the sitters at their tasks. It was like lying under a night sky. The quietness of all the eggs in the nests in the woods came mutely within my earshot as planets and stars can sometimes seem to transmit the sparkling prickle of space between them. I heard the silence. The curve of each nest bowl would be a cast of the incubating bird's breast, and the future's songs and colours and flights were all curved into their eggs, all dark there, as if waiting but asleep. I settled into the quiet time, the soft rustle of the wood. One fly passed and then another bee, A holly-blue butterfly visited a holly bush growing at the base of an oak it was paler than the sky beyond the canopy the green leaves dilute anything blue below them nests in these woods are all about secrets and hiding and stillness spring is birdsong and leaf burst but is also here stopped in its very going in shade and quiet nests are like ballast keeping life down and eggs too spring paradoxes seeds Germs in the earth-dark, hard-shelled pebbles, solid-cased yet shifting within, growing and changing, wanting to crack.
0: Well, I really loved that. So revealing and so beautiful. I've been watching these same species for years, but I'm staggered by how much I've learnt in just the last 15 minutes listening. I've also been lucky enough to get out to record some of the birds Tim lovingly describes in that reading. So I'll be publishing that broadcast, the live show, so to speak, in the next episode. For now, a huge thank you to Tim D for that wonderful reading and that journey into deepest Exmoor. And if you don't already have a copy of Tim's book, it's called Greenery, Journeys into Springtime, and it's published by Jonathan Cape. It's absolutely magnificent. Totally recommend it. So you've been listening to the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast produced by Jack Bateman in Bristol. Do visit our website, countryfile.com and don't forget we have a brilliant print magazine so you can hold the countryside in your hands even if you can't get there at the moment. But for now, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.